so glad we got this great audience here in our theater in Hendersonville, just outside of Nashville. I'd love for you to come and be part of our show, so you should get for your free tickets and come join us sometime and have as much fun as these guys are having. So welcome to our show. It is going to be spectacular. And by the way, speaking of spectacular, if you haven't picked up a copy of my latest book called Three C's That Made America Great, Christianity, Capitalism, and the Constitution, co-authored with Steve Fiesel, it is about time that you do that. The book is available in bookstores or online at HuckabeeBooks.com or from Amazon. Well, I'm sure you are aware that we are now past Labor Day and just two months before the election, which I call the start of the silly season. That's because the words you can expect to hear from the media are bombshell, breaking news, explosive new information, stunning revelations, and similar breathless hyperbolic descriptions about a story involving a candidate for office from president all the way down to school board. Here is a friendly piece of advice. Ignore most of it, especially if it's from a political ad or from the establishment media. If they're reporting on something that supposedly will cause you to change your vote, just take it with a grain of salt. I mean, this week a story appeared in a very partisan left-wing publication that claimed that President Trump spoke disparagingly of the military. And the writer had to publicly admit that a great part of his story was in fact wrong and that he based it entirely on unnamed sources, or as they sometimes say, senior officials. Well, to date, not one of those sources have been identified or verified. Other reporters even say they independently verified the story by their unnamed sources. How dumb is it to say that you can sperm the story from an unnamed source by talking to an unnamed source? Think about that. By the way, so far, at least 21 people with a name and a face have disputed the story, and they didn't do it anonymously. They stepped up and agreed that the story was absolutely false. Oh, and by the way, one of those 21 people was my own daughter who was with the president when he supposedly made the remarks. She will be on our show in a little while, in fact. Hey, even John Bolton, the fired former national security director, affirmed the president's story and dismissed the fake news report from The Atlantic. I've kind of decided The Atlantic is where that publication belongs, in the depths of The Atlantic. That would be a good place for it. Now, when that story fizzled out, and it did, Watergate reporter Bob Woodward put out his book to say that the president downplayed the seriousness of the COVID virus. Some rather opinionated journalists even accused President Trump of willingly killing coronavirus patients because he said he wanted to keep people calm and not to panic. And then before the media could even get the story out in full hype, accusing the president of downplaying the seriousness of the virus, video revealed Joe Biden saying all the way back in February and March, that we don't need to panic. Which, by the way, was exactly what the president said. But it took Joe Biden several weeks to finally admit that banning travel to China and Europe as ordered by the president was really a good thing. Now, Joe wasn't just misguided, he was just weeks behind. 
My advice is to believe very little or nothing said by the media for the next two months. And mostly, just ignore what's reported to have been said by the candidates unless you see it and you hear it from the candidate himself or herself. And even then, make sure the tape hadn't been doctored. There are really some important issues to be decided by the election in November, and you need to pray, think, and vote. Be less impressed with what a political figure supposedly said and look to see what he or she actually has done or failed to do. But whatever you do, make sure you vote because not voting is accepting whatever happens and losing the right to complain about it. You will end up getting the government you deserve even if it is not the government that you wanted. Nineteen years ago, New York City was the epicenter of the worst terror attack in American history. That's when hijacked airliners crashed into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. Guiding the city through that catastrophe was Mayor Rudy Giuliani, who became known as America's Mayor. Here's my interview on that tragedy and the rebirth after 9-11 of New York with Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Mayor, let's go back 19 years. 9-11, most significant event that I can think of in most of our lifetimes other than maybe the Kennedy assassination. When you first heard what was happening to the Twin Towers, where were you and, and what immediately did you start doing at that moment? I was at the Peninsula Hotel. I was having breakfast with my counsel, Dennison Young, and with Bill Simon, who was a good friend of mine. It was a primary day in New York. It was the day in which the Democrats and Republicans were going to vote to figure out who, who was going to succeed me. And at the end of it, one of the police officers on my detail came in and told my counsel something. Then she came over to me and she said, Mayor, there's a terrible fire down at the World Trade Center. It looks like a twin-engine plane has hit the North Tower, and I think we better go there. So the first notice I got of it was that it was a small plane that hit the tower. My first thought was maybe it was an accident of some kind. When I walked outside and I looked upstairs, looked up in the sky and I saw a beautiful blue sky, I started to wonder, how could it be an accident? This looks like a beautiful day. And uh, then the police commissioner got on the phone and we were rushing down to the World Trade Center in about, about a minute maybe two minutes before we arrived there, I got a call from Police Commissioner Carrick who told me that a second plane had hit mm. and this was definitely a terrorist attack. And that's, of course, when I knew that it was a terrorist attack. And then we changed our entire approach. We closed down the city immediately. You know, Mike, the, the thing you can say now, it was four attacks. Mm. But when you were going through it, you didn't know if it was going to be 10 or 20 or 30. Uh, this could have been the beginning of many, many more attacks. And I said a little prayer. I said to Bernie, this is, a, this is way above our heads. We're just going to have to do the best we can. And then we're going to have to ask God to make it come out right. Hmm. I think everybody in America stood amazed at the leadership that you brought to the city and actually to the nation during that time. You, uh, you took control. Uh, you managed what was an unmanageable crisis. I don't guess there's any way to prepare for something like that, but what was deep inside of you, Mayor, that 
gave you the capacity in the midst of grief, because you lost friends. These were people, some of those folks, you knew them. So you had oh to separate gosh, yeah. your some, personal, ten. yeah, your personal grief from the friends you had that were dying in that place to manage the resources and assets of the city to try to, to cope with all of the aftermath. Personally, you never prepared for it. Personally, I don't know what you do. I mean, the first really big shock that I got was when we, we, we were trapped in a building for about a half hour and weren't sure we were gonna get out. Well, we finally did. And when I got to our command post, first person I wanted was Fa Father Michael Judge, who was the mm. chaplain of the fire department. And he, he, was, he was the person who kind of taught me how to deal with firefighters dying and police officers dying. And my fire commissioner came in and said, Mayor, I don't have to tell you this, but he's the first body we took out. Mm. Uh. And they're taking him over to the church. And then after that, it was a series of three or four or five of my, my most trusted people. We, we lost our top, our top search and rescue people. So I, I, actually, I think what I did, Mike, was I said to myself, I can't think about that now. Like if this were an ordinary situation and someone had come in and told me that Father Judge was dead, I probably would take some time off and maybe I'd cry or I'd at least want to collect my thoughts. But I said to myself, I got to worry about this later because right now I got to keep focused on what's it's hard, hard enough making the right decision. If you get it mixed up with a lot of emotion, you're going to make some horrendous mistakes. So I tried very hard to stay focused. Your leadership was also credited for building the finest police force in the world, not just in the, in, in the United States, but in the world. The New York City Police Department, best trained, best prepared, most professional. And I see them now, uh, and I remember back watching how absolutely first rate they were in the face of extraordinary danger, as well as the fire department. And I see now their budgets being cut, uh, the demoralization of the rank-and-file officers being told to stand down and just stand there when people are throwing things at them. It's got to be frustrating to you having worked to build that city up to being one of the safest, most welcoming, most business-friendly cities, certainly the biggest, most significant city in the world like that, to see what it's become now with its major stores boarded up and people scared to death to get on the subway or walk oh. the streets. Well, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating if I tell you it breaks my heart yeah. to see that. Uh, the I probably love the police department and the fire department beyond all other agencies. My, I had four uncles who were police officers and one who was a fire captain. Hmm. So, and then I grew up as a prosecutor, so I work with the police department, you know, virtually every day of my life, prosecuting anything from a small case to, a, to, to the heads of the mafia. And uh, so I was very close to the police department. And I had three superb police commissioners. I didn't do it all myself by any means. And we had wonderful programs and we were very lucky. I mean, we, we put these programs into effect and they were three times more effective than I ever thought they would be. And by the time I left, we had reduced crime by 65%. Hmm. And then I turned it over to Mike Bloomberg and he selected an excellent police commissioner, Ray Kelly. They reduced crime. Finally, it was down 80%. And to be followed by uh, this man is, um, from the very beginning, he was at war with the police department. For some reason, he announced when the Baltimore riots were going on that New York City, you know, had the same racist problems as Baltimore. Now, that, that I don't know about Baltimore. I don't want to accuse him of anything. Yeah. 
but we don't have racial problems in the New York City Police Department. We're a non-majority non police department. We're not 50% white, we're not 50% black, we're not 50% Hispanic. We work very hard to have a police department that's reflective of the community. Well, I want to thank you for being with us, especially, I, I know it's a very, an emotional time, even 19 years later. It is. I'm sure it's still fresh and raw and always will be. Uh, but to have you to be able to share some of the reflections and even uh, to talk about the city today. And we, we genuinely pray that New York is restored because it I is a great it. city and it needs to be restored. I, I remember how grateful America and the world was for the leadership that you brought to it that made it a great place to go and visit and work. And I hope it happens again, but we'll never ever forget the leadership that you brought to that great city and its people. And uh, you'll forever be enshrined in our hearts and thoughts. And we think about you this weekend and thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Governor. It's a, it's a great pleasure to be with you. Now you can keep up with the mayor on social media at Rudy Giuliani, and you can also listen to him on New York's talk radio, 77 WABC every weekday afternoon. If you'd like to, you can download his podcast called Common Sense. Get that on your favorite podcast app. And if you'd like more of my take on the news, join me on Huckabee.tv for facts of the matter. We're gonna be talking about Bob Woodward's ambush book on the president, Seattle Mayor Jenny Durkin, who shut down citizens who wanted to gather to pray for an end to the rioting and violence. So I'll see you on Huckabee.tv for Facts of the Matter. Right now, Keith Bilbrey has been reading up on all the stuff we got for tonight. I'm going to turn it over to him to tell you about it. Oh, and what a lineup we have. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, film star Jim Caviezel, actor and politician Antonio Sabato Jr., and much more. All here. My next guest is a political consultant, a Fox News commentator, a former White House press secretary, and the author of a brand new book called Speaking for Myself, Faith, Freedom, and the Fight of Our Lives Inside the Trump White House. She also happens to be my daughter. Please welcome Sarah Huckabee Sanders. <laughs> welcome back. Thank you. I think you brought a fan club with you. <laughs> It's always so funny when I have a guest that gets 14 times the love <laughs> that the host gets. I just want to throw that out there. But as long as you're doing that for my daughter, I'm fine with it. <laughs> I'm fine with it. There have been so many books about President Trump and the White House, most of them written very negatively. What's different about this story? Well, I think for starters, I spent three and a half years working for the president, two and a half in the White House, and nearly every single day of my 12, 14, 16 hour days, I spent most of that time at the president's side, watching him talk with foreign leaders, watching him interact with his family. Um, I got to see him in a way that very few Americans get to see. And 
For two and a half years, I spoke on behalf of the president, and this is my turn to tell my side of the story and show the country who this man is behind the scenes, the generous, the kind, the compassionate person that he is. What is it about President Trump that the average American simply does not know that you could tell us from having been at his side for as long as you were? I don't think that most people would claim that he's the champion of women, that the Democrats always try to come after him uh, for, and I saw the opposite. I saw somebody who empowered women, who fought for us, who stood up for us, who defended us. When I was under constant attack from liberals, as you know, nothing was off limits, whether yeah. it was my character, or how I felt about something, my weight, my appearance, my fitness as a mother, everything was on what the kind table. kind of pie you made. Exactly, whether, or whether you really I did didn't it. make the pie. <laughs> Everything was on the table for liberals to attack, but the president actually stood up for me, defended me, and empowered me to do my job and trusted me to carry his message to the world, which was a pretty big responsibility. There was an incident you describe in the book that I think is just powerful. I did not know about this until I read the book. There are a lot of things. Actually, there are a lot of stuff I didn't know about until I read this book, to be honest with you. Really get to know my daughter this way. For better or but worse, it, I guess. But you know. It, it was a very special moment. And the president had an opportunity right after all that happened when, when you were in Japan. What happened? Tell that story. So this was a moment, uh, frankly, it was a pretty low moment for me personally. I had been attacked um, by an LA Times reporter for my appearance. I had been kicked out of a restaurant. I'd been attacked at the White House Correspondents' Dinner as their guest yeah. sitting at the head table. And I was not having the best uh, couple of weeks of my life. And we were walking into a meeting with Prime Minister Abe and the president had every reason in the world to be focused on that meeting. But he just sensed something. He grabbed me, said, hold on a second. He grabbed me, he turned me in the hall. He looked me directly in the eye and he said, Sarah, the reason that they attack you is because you're good at your job. You're smart, you're beautiful. Do not let them get you down. And I was just kind of taken aback and astonished that he recognized in that moment that I needed a second and I needed somebody to empower me. And he did that. And then he, in true Trump style, slapped me on the shoulder and said, now let's get back to work. And we immediately <laughs> went into this bilateral meeting and started discussing, you know, one of the most significant trade deals in his presidency. But that was one of the things that I want people to understand about this president, that he loves the people around him, he fights for us, he empowers us, and that's what he's trying to do for every American every single day he steps into that office. There were some nasty books that were written, mostly by people that he <laughs> let go and fired and it didn't work out. Uh, some of them claimed that they were real experts and knew what was going on. They had nowhere near the access. I, I doubt there was a single member of the White House staff that was in the president's presence and in the Oval Office more than you were on a day-to-day -day basis. So is that what is different about what you're writing about in your book? I, I think that's a huge difference is I, I saw him in every aspect of his presidency and every aspect of his personal life. I sat with him when he made phone calls to parents who had lost uh, a soldier that had been serving overseas in Afghanistan. I saw him become vulnerable in those moments. And I really want people to understand who this president is, how much he loves this country, and I think I do a pretty good job of that if I do say so myself in this book. And no, I, think I hope people will read it and learn about. I, I think it's a spectacular insight and you tell so many vivid stories, things that we've never heard. One of the stories that touched me most 
was when you were with the president, it was not a public trip, but he went to Walter Reed time after time, and he visited with wounded warriors. He would take these moments, he would go into these hospital rooms and visit one-on-one -on -one, uh, with soldiers who had been injured, who had come back. He would sit with their families and I think really just open himself up in a way that you don't get to see um, on the cameras. The president has very much a tough guy persona and I think he likes that um, and usually prefers that. But these moments, um, you really got to just see his love of country and his love for the people who allow us to live in it. And it's a really special thing to watch. There's so many people I think that are gonna find this book a really strong revelation. I thank you for writing it. And thank you, by the way, for giving me a copy. Because <laughs> if you didn't, you would not be invited back to the Thanksgiving table. I, I, want I even say some pretty nice things about you in there. That's probably why he's That's the, the book reason so well. to get the book, the nice <laughs> things. Nobody says these nice things about me, but it is a beautiful book. And uh, the book is called Speaking for Myself, Faith, Freedom, and the Fight of Our Lives Inside the Trump White House. It is already a number one bestseller on Amazon. It is also available at all great bookstores. So if you also want to keep up with the author on social media, follow at Sarah Huckabee on Twitter and at Sarah Huckabee Sanders on Instagram. Keith Bilbrey, you might even want to get one of these for yourself. Speaking for himself over there is Keith Bilbrey. He's standing by to tell you what else we have coming up after the break. Well, coming up, acclaimed actor Jim Caviezel and our Huck's hero, Robert, Melissa, and Trevor Hendershot. Then actor-politician Antonio Sabato Jr. Plus, Craig Corley and the Music City Connection perform on Huckabee. Welcome back. Now this month, a powerful new film is gonna debut based on true stories of the oppression of Christians inside Iran. The film is called Infidel. Here's a sneak peek right here. You gotta get him out. They're working on it, right? The, the, the government. Not a chance. The days of Entebbe are long over. As far as the world's concerned, you're dead buried. I can't give up on it. He's here, your husband. You're CIA. The two of you set him up. They act as if nothing happened in Virginia. Try to get me arrested. I came here to plead for his life. It is clear you are an American spy. I didn't come here to watch you die. We're not afraid to die. That's why we're going to win. I'm not afraid either. Well, you know him from person of interest in many films, including The Passion of the Christ. Would you please welcome back to our show the star of Infidel, Jim Caviezel. Well, Jim, welcome back. You look terrific. Okay. I love that suit, man. And I love your tie. This film is 
a true story, but a composite really of, of a lot of different things that have happened. Obviously, you were attracted to it, decided when you read the script that you wanted to do it. So why? Because he's a, a, a man who stands up for what he believes in uh, against, and that's really important today's cancel culture, you know? Yeah. You don't see that. And uh, so I, uh, I started looking things up and reading about the 21 martyrs um, that were slaughtered on that beach in Libya, mm. and they had a chance to, you know, turn their backs on Christ. All they had to do is, you know, go to Allah, and they were fine. Um, but they would they have didn't. been allowed to live if they just renounced That's Jesus. That's correct. They wouldn't do it, yeah. and they put their love of Jesus Christ above their own lives to stand for the truth, and this character has that in him. Mm. Is he the right guy for the job? I would tell you he thinks he probably isn't, but something leads him there. And when you go back to the Gospels, you read about Paul, Peter, all these guys are martyrs. Yeah. Where would we be in it, having a church? We wouldn't have one if people say, if Satan came up to you and said, look, I'll take your life. Oof, no way. You know, Jim, it, it, it's kind of sad because I, I think about people that are depicted in this film. Yeah. They've paid with their very blood right. to stand up for Christ. And there yeah. are people who get upset if they don't have their usual parking place when they go to church on <laughs> Sunday. And they have no idea what it means to pay a price to follow Christ. And I hope this movie will help people to, to recognize that uh, there's often a price to be paid for taking the stand that so many people are taking around the world. Well, when we... Uh, Mel and I are getting ready to do the resurrection of the Christ. Um, we'll be hit there as well. But yeah. look, we have it right here in, in the United States. We can't even go to church right now. Yeah. Okay. Th that's a violation of inalienable rights. And yeah. why our church leaders aren't speaking up and telling the state to go to hell? Mm. We've got to fight back. And there are very few people. And I, what's this guy's name? Um, MacArthur. Yeah, John MacArthur. He stood no. up. Yeah. But he's a one guy. Yeah. Where's the rest of the buggers, you know? And, and I have friends that have committed suicide. I have uh, buddies. I'm wearing my trident here because uh, several seals have killed themselves. Hmm. And they needed Christ yeah. in the church. But I believe it was done intentionally. But as Christians, if we, if we like that way of life, if we don't start standing up, and pushing back, uh, we will lose that way of life. It will be, it'll be a used-to-be Christian way of life. But even if there's just a couple of us that are willing to fight back, you know, it's worth my life. Hmm. That, when you asked, why did yeah. you play this character? That's why I wanted to play this character, because I absolutely believe in that. They're not going to cancel Christianity. Yeah. Jim, I cannot tell you how much I admire and appreciate your courage. Because a lot of people in Hollywood simply won't take the stand you've taken. And this film is going to be controversial because it depicts Islam, radical Islam, for what it really is. And even talks about things like honor killings. Do you worry that there's going to be such a backlash by people like the squad and others who will say that you're just a bigot, you're a racist, you're, uh, you're, you're some kind of horrible person because you're in this film? Well, then I just be in the big old pile of the rest of Americans, because, you know, we're all racist, aren't we now? Mm -hmm. You know? It sounds that, like it. Well, yeah, by the time, once you scream wolf too many times, people aren't going to listen to you yeah. anymore. And that's why our media has lost credibility. Because when you don't stand up for the unborn, 
when you can kill them now when yeah. they're in, in the third trimester, actually, you can kill them now when they're out, New York and Virginia. Just That's awful. a disgrace. Yeah. So I don't, I don't do that. Yeah. I don't stick my finger in the wind and worry like some politician. I was led by God Almighty hmm. to, to be here. And I was, when I was a young boy, when I was a boy, I saw movies like Ben-Hur. I, I was moved by them, and I was profound. I, I learned my Bible from that. Because hmm. those images got in my head, and so it was a lot easier for me. To, they could get me to read by seeing those those films. And then time goes by. Who who would have thought? I know I didn't think I would be doing what I'm doing now, being on some screenplay and a guy who's suffering for representing people for that are suffering for their faith, playing a guy who's suffering for his. But at some point, God calls you, and when He does call you, and He called me, it was done with the boy dates. Hmm. It was Jim. I need you hmm. as a man now. That's your purpose. So, Jim Caviezel, I hope people will go see the film. It's called Infidel, and uh, it opens on September the 18th in theaters, something a lot of us haven't seen the inside of in a while. It's about time. And if there ever was a good time to go to a theater and support a movie, it's going to be to see this one. You see this man's heart. We love having him. And uh, I know it's going to be a powerful film that I hope will challenge you to stand up and be counted for Christ. Keith Bilbrey, I know that everybody's going to want to see the film Infidel. Why don't you just remind them how? Well, Infidel is playing in theaters all across America starting this Friday, September 18th. To find out where it's playing near you and purchase advanced tickets online, head to infidel911.com. And be sure to join Mike, Trey, and me on Huckabee.tv for the funniest news of the week on In Case You Missed It. There's a man who blew up his house chasing a fly, a husband who surprised his wife with a 12-foot-tall T-Rex in their backyard. See you on Huckabee.tv for In Case You Missed It. Next, celebrate Down Syndrome kids with our Hucks heroes, Dan Antonio Sabato Jr. is here. Later, the Music City Connection performs on Huckabee. Uh, welcome back. How about a big hand for Trey Corley and the Music City Connection? Yeah. What an appropriate song, bringing us back in with Rare Earth's Get Ready. By the way, you better get ready, because a little later in the show, Trey Corley and the Music City Connection is going to rock the house with an original song written by Trey Corley. It's going to be something you do not want to miss, I guarantee you. Well, do you know what Down syndrome is? That was one of the first questions that the doctor asked my next guest when their son Trevor was born. Today... They champion employment opportunities for people with Down syndrome, and that makes them tonight's Hux heroes. Anytime we're hiring anybody at all, we tell them you are the first people that the fans see when they walk in the building and the last people they see when they walk out of the building. So it's very important that they enter with a smile and they leave with a smile. And nobody brings that yes. better than somebody like Trevor. 
Trevor was hired by the LA Angels in 2012, then by the Anaheim Ducks in 2013 to be the greeter in the respective retail team stores. You know, hiring Trevor isn't really a charity or whatever you might call it. We hired Trevor because he's the best person for the job. Yes. Uh, <laughs> because of that right there. Nobody has the energy and enthusiasm that Trevor does. Because of that, he's just an asset to the team. Trevor is my ambassador. He brings a new energy to the stadium. You make a difference for our fans, and it's a great experience to have you here. It's the experience that's so important when you come to a baseball game. And we want people to have fun. He generates fun. He makes things fun. I would definitely encourage other stadiums to do the same and have a person like Trevor here and maybe think about instituting it in their ballparks. Would you please welcome Robert, Melissa, and Trevor, our Hux heroes tonight. Great to have you guys here. You know, your story is so powerful. We, we saw in the video that uh, the doctor first told you when Trevor uh, showed up, mm -hmm. you know what Down syndrome is. Did you know? I did know, had an idea, but nothing prepared me for that. In fact, yeah. when Melissa was pregnant with Trevor, had all these hopes and dreams that he or she would be everything I wasn't, scholar, athlete, musician, leader. And then when I saw our child being born, and the doctor said, you have a son, that was the happiest moment of my life. Yeah. But when that same doctor, like you're alluding to, five minutes later asked me, do you know what Down syndrome is? That was one of the saddest moments of my life, to go from utter joy to utter devastation in about five seconds. Mm. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to go through. And I had some faith in God back then, but I was just so angry. Why me, God? I don't deserve a son like this. And you know, Governor Huckabee, it's been 30 years since that day. With all the trials and tribulations we've gone through, the setbacks and successes, I stand by my original statement. I really did not deserve a son like Trevor for uh, the complete opposite reason. Melissa, it must have been, though, you know, in, in, in the days now, people usually know prior to birth mm -hmm. that there's going to be some uh, challenge. But you didn't know that back then. No, we, we didn't know. I'd had all the tests that they gave at that time and yeah. everything came back normal. So it was quite an yeah. unexpected surprise, I guess. Um, and I really um, doubted God's wisdom in choosing me to be Trevor's mom because I knew so little about Down syndrome. And yet over time, I realized that, you know, from friends and just life that God doesn't... Um, call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And so um, to be called, to be Trevor's mom has been just the greatest gift. You are now a greeter for the Los Angeles Angels. Yes, I am. When, when you're out there meeting those people, mm -hmm. how does that make you feel, Trevor? I feel excited. <laughs> you are excited, I can see. Mm -hmm. Now you guys are doing something with Angel for hire, uh -huh. which I love the title. Ah, okay. But encouraging other teams and sports franchises uh -huh. to use folks with Down syndrome to mm -hmm. fulfill a very important role, and that's being the friendly, hospitable face and voice of the team mm -hmm. and of the stadium. Yes. Are you Yay. getting a good reaction to that? Very mm -hmm. much so. Um, in fact, we had a, um, mm -hmm. after Trevor had these great jobs, we thought maybe there's something more to this than just him having these four cool jobs in Southern California. And then we heard a woman came by the store. She was pregnant with a child with Down syndrome. She was unsure of what to do. And then she met my son, saw what a blessing he was, mm. and she brought her child to life. So we thought, 
Maybe what wow. we should do is try to replicate what Trevor does in his stadiums at other stadiums around the country. In other words, like we figured, okay, if, if you're pregnant in New York with a child with Down syndrome, somebody could tell you, before you do anything, go see Tommy at Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Or if you're in Boston, go see Susie at Fenway Park. And so there'd be like these little pro-life embassies around the country. So we started this operation. We formed Angels for Hire. And then we had a great year. First full year was in 2019. We, um, we met, um, we had greeters now in 2019. Where'd we go? We went we five in the Cincinnati Reds, mm -hmm. two with the Cincinnati Bengals, five with the Chicago Cubs, uh, two with uh, the San Francisco 49ers, three with the Golden State Warriors, mm -hmm. and five with the Athletics. And then, um, who else we have? Oh, one with Notre Dame, too. Oh, yeah. I right? know. Yeah, That's so it's going great. People love it. They've been uh, made employees of the year, their first year, this kind mm -hmm. of thing. They're impacting. Their cities, mm -hmm. just like Trevor does in his city. Yeah. And everybody wins, Melissa, because it's not only great for people like Trevor who have Down syndrome, and they're, yeah. they're being able to bring joy to people. Okay. But it's also such a great way to show that every life has great intrinsic worth and value. God never makes a mistake. Right. Mm -hmm. And every life should be given an opportunity, just Amen. like Trevor. Amen. Yeah. Amen. I'm so very glad of what you guys are doing. I hope every college and professional team in America can get someone like Trevor. Okay. To greeter. Mm -hmm. Trevor, yeah. keep up the good work. I hope I get to come maybe to some stadium you're working. I, uh -huh. I'm about giving up on professional sports, but you know what? I'd yeah. come see you. Okay. You I'd come see you. That is for sure. And there is a drum. Thank you, guys. Thank it is you. a great Thank pleasure to have you. Keith Bilbrey, tell our audience how they can discover more about Angels for Hire. Well, to stay up to date with Angels for Hire, go to angelsforhire.org. And Trevor's book, Angel for Hire, is available there and on Amazon. Coming up, model, actor, and politician Antonio Zapato Jr. Then Trey Corley and the Music City Connection perform right here on Huckabee. Antonio Sabato Jr. had some family members that were murdered in Auschwitz and others who escaped socialism and came to America for freedom. They taught him never to back down from his beliefs, even though being a conservative in Hollywood is sometimes career suicide. I want you to welcome the author of this book, Sabato, The Untold Story, Antonio Sabato Jr. Antonio, Thank welcome. You. It's good to have you here. Good to be here. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you have your fan club with you tonight. These are great people. You guys are awesome. Thank you. It's so good to be here in Nashville and in your presence. Well, and, uh, thank you. God is good every day, man, isn't he? You know what? I'm, I'm so impressed. You've had an illustrious career. You've done thank everything you. from modeling to acting, all sorts of stuff. You know, and here's something a lot of people may not know. People mistake you for me all the time. All the I time. mean, <laughs> you know, it, it's just, they can't help it. And you see, I even followed well, you. I went to Who politics, said that right? was a punchline anyway? <laughs> no, I don't think that ever is going to happen. Uh, on a serious note, though, your family has really a history of, of some oh, yeah. tough moments. My family knows about socialism. You know, my mother was born in Prague, 
my grandmother, you know, was the only survivor in World War II. Her brother and her parents, my great-grandparents, were taken to Auschwitz and killed there. Um, my grandmother was able to change her name and escape and run away as a, as a, as a child and live in Prague and raise herself as mm. a child around the Nazis' party. And, uh, and then the Communist Party came over and took over and invaded the Czech Republic, so they had to deal with that. And eventually, my grandmother, many years later, you'll find it in the book, that's why people should really read this thing, is that uh, she was killed uh, by the Communist Party in her apartment while my mother was getting ready to be married to my father uh, back in the 60s. So I know about socialism. My family knows it as well. We don't want it in this country no matter what. One of the things that I guess I'm most impressed with is that you knew full well if you took a stand mm -hmm. for the conservative values, for the right. pro-American values that you had, that it was probably gonna hurt your career in Hollywood. Yeah. And you talk about in your book that you knew that full well, you did it anyway. I did it anyway because I put Jesus first and mm. uh, I sleep good at night. Um, I know what he stands for me. Thank you. Thank him. I seen death, I've been through, you see, you read it in the book, I've been, I've been through hell and back and I know that God was always there for me and Jesus has helped me. I have a really close relationship with Christ and I think what people need to have is more relationship with Christ on a daily basis, but I have it, and I'm very proud of that. And uh, when I saw this new wave of Hollywood coming in and deciding what to say, what not to say, you can do this, but you cannot do that, I felt bullied hmm. uh, by my peers and by people that I was surrounded with. And there's one thing about me and my family, we don't get bullied, huh. we fight back. Uh, we're proud Americans, we love this country, and if you try to change the Constitution or anything related to that flag, that beautiful flag that we have, or God or anything, I'm gonna fight back and I'm gonna stand my ground because God is first in my book. Mm. That is, that's something we don't hear very much from people who have come from Hollywood. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I appreciate, the candor of your book, it's not a fairy tale. You had some rough spots in your life and yep. some things to deal with. Sure. Your faith now is really that thread that kind of goes through that pulled you back and got you back up on your feet when there were some busted chapters in your oh, life. Oh, I, I fought addiction. I survived that. I, like I said, I fought death. I lost everything. We lost our home. We lost, you know, I, I lost my house in, in California. I, I was blacklisted. I had to fight really the good fight, you know, and, and you find yourself against the wall. And sometimes when you're by yourself, you find that relationship with Christ in a whole different level because after that happened, and I fought these battles and I won them at the end with the, with the help of Christ. Now I have a fiance that, who I adore, my, my girl, my kids, the relationship I have with them is stronger than ever. My career is building up. I have a book out. I feel good in my skin. I feel great where I'm at. Mm. I'm fearless and uh, I'm willing to fight for our country. I'm willing to fight for our president. Uh, you know, I, I think our president is fighting the fight and we have to stand with him. We have to stand with people like yourself and... Uh, you know, America is a country that stands on its own. It's one place that is very different than anywhere else in the world. And it helps the world stay stable. Uh, once you destruct that, that, that flag, that country, what we stand for, the whole planet will fall. And we can't let that happen. So that's why they want to change. The far left wants to change mm -hmm. our future because they want to control the American people. But you, the American people, are stronger than them. We're going to win November. Mm. I, I, I'm hoping you are a prophet as well as an actor. Antonio, Hollywood has been uh, a place where people feel totally free to inject uh, very left-wing politics into Absolutely. everything they say. Yeah. I can remember when Hollywood produced films that made us love America. 
yeah. that, that appreciated our military, that appreciated yeah. police and, mm -hmm. and firemen. And That's what I'm doing now, uh, Governor. What I'm doing now is starting a new studio, a conservative mm -hmm. studio. So I call it the Conflict Studios, and I'm raising money to produce movies that are going to support our cops, mm. our soldiers, our flag, our mm. God. You know, it's important for the future of our nation and, and the future of our children who are being doctored who are being thrown in this new world uh, because the far left is teaching our kids uh, things that are not, they're not positive. They're not going to build them up. They're breaking them down. And I think that we need a place where we can make movies that are good, like you said, loving and patriotic, where we support our country. Because, listen, in the last 200 years, our country has stood for us, yeah. right? So now is our time to stand for our country. Antonio, I have no doubt that you're going to do it. Thank you. And if you want to get Antonio's great book, Keith Gilbert is standing by. He's going to tell you exactly how to get your own copy of Sabato, the Untold Story. Sabata, the Untold Story is available everywhere. And you can follow Antonio at Antonio Sabata Jr., where you'll also discover his Parada Della Strada clothing line and upcoming movie Trailblazers. Next, the Trey Corley and Music City Connection with Mike on bass. Perform an inspiring song for America. More Huckabee is on the way. Our show's music director and band leader, Trey Corley, wrote our next song, Love Me For Me. It's an inspiring song about accepting and loving one another in hopes of uniting divided Americans. Here now to sing is Hope Loftus, Angela Prim, Sean L. Corley, Grant Ross McGregor, and Sam Mullins. Backed by Mike on bass. Let's hear it for Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. <laughs> Why can't you love me for me? Why can't 
for me. 